Well, good morning, Sailorville Church. How are we doing this morning? Yeah, great to see you. Thanks for being here, whether you're here in the room, online, experiencing this service. So glad that you're a part of this. Grab your Bibles. We're in Ephesians chapter 1. A lot of those lyrics come right out of the passage this morning and out of the rest of the New Testament. If you have one of these Bible study journals, a lot of you have those. You can take notes in that as well as use it throughout the rest of the week. We have a couple left at the uh, Welcome Center out there if you're looking for one on the way out. So glad that you are here with us this morning. We're in Ephesians chapter 1 in the beginning parts of this uh, series Unwrapping God's Masterpiece. Got a question for you as we kick off this morning. How many of you, by raise of hands, would say you are a pet lover? Pet lover. Wow. You guys beat the first service big time. They hated God's creation. <laughs> if you've been to our house, you've probably met our dog, Maisie. She is a 10-pound Yorkie. And uh, Meredith describes her as aggressively affectionate. She's aggressively affectionate. Here's why. Because the dog hasn't ever met anybody that she couldn't force into loving her. That's just her personality. She loves people, and she wants to make sure that you love her as well. Now, listen, don't tell her I said this, but she's not a bad dog. Kind of a good dog, except for one thing. She thinks she's a human. She thinks she's a human. She's picky with her food. It better be wet food out of a can, or else you are going to get the stink eye. I guarantee it. You can take her for a walk, but when she gets tired, you have to pick her up halfway because her fragile paws just can't even. <laughs> her favorite place to sleep, no lie, is on my side of the bed with her head right on the pillow next to mine. And yes, I know that's disturbing. I get it. <laughs> and I'm not joking when I say this. She absolutely loves <clears throat> hugs. She loves getting hugged. That's right, when she's had a really rough day of barking at the UPS man or squeaking her tennis balls or chasing her own tail around, she'll often jump up on our laps and then paw her way right up to our shoulders and then stick her head just like a child underneath our chin and sigh as if to say, you guys are so lucky to have me. <laughs> Listen, when a dog acts like a dog, it's great. That's where God has intended that creature to be, right? But when a dog forgets its true identity and starts acting like a human, now we've got a problem. In fact, sometimes I look at Maisie and say, dog, remember who you are. You're a dog and I am a human. Now, I realize trying to reason with my dog puts me in the crazy category for some of you. But for those of you with pets or, let's be honest, young children, you get it. It's very similar. In fact, I remember my father saying the exact same thing to me. Almost every day when I was a kid, he'd say, Jason, remember who you are. Remember who you are. I can still picture my family uh, gathering around our entryway. We had a mat on the floor. We would circle up on that mat just before we left, to, left for school in the morning. We'd circle up, and my dad and my mom would pray. And then just as we walked out the door, my dad would yell back at us, Hey, remember who you are. You're a Christian, and you're a Jackson. <laughs> Now watch this, because I think there's a lesson for us to learn here. As followers of Jesus, sometimes it's easy to forget who we are, to act in a way that doesn't line up with our true identity, or to begin to believe the lies that label us. Some of you know exactly what this is like, because you've allowed another person or other people or Satan himself to define who you are, your boss who called you incompetent. Boy, that sticks, doesn't it? Or a coach who told you one time, you'll never be good enough. 
Or a parent that might remind you that you're the child that they never wanted. Or a husband that left because he doesn't love you anymore. You believe the lies that Satan tells you, and by the way, most of the time, those are in your own voice, right? <laughs> that you're a failure, you're a mistake, you're worthless, you're hopeless, you're helpless, you're a burden, you're stupid, you're unwanted. I don't know what it is for you, but my guess is that you can identify that lie in your life pretty easily this morning, can't you? Our son Judah is eight years old. When he was born, the doctor looked at us and, and, and said, I, I want to know what you're going to name him. What are you going to name him? Now, how strange would it have been if we looked back at the doctor and said, I don't know, doc, what do you want us to call him? I mean, you're the doctor. <laughs> That's ridiculous, right? Why? Because nobody in that room except daddy and mommy get the privilege of naming that child. Now listen this morning, if you're a Christian, and you may not be today, we don't ever assume that, but if you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to hear something right out of the gate. You are not defined by your job, your family heritage, your income, your addictions, the size of your house, or your zip code, your anxiety, or any other label that the devil or the world tries to put on you. And here it is, nobody but your creator gets to name you. In fact, you are who God says you are. You are who God says you are. That's really been one of the lessons that we've learned in the sermon series so far, kind of one of the themes. We're in week three of a journey through the letter from the Apostle Paul to his friends in Ephesus. We call it the book of Ephesians. We've already uncovered the characteristics of a church that's making more people more like Jesus in chapter one. And then last week, we started digging into this incredible doxology that begins in verse three of chapter one. And while there's so much deep theology in this letter, we're specifically following this storyline. Here it is. In Christ, we find our true identity. Say it with me. In Christ, we find our true identity. Do you believe that? Oh, I hope so. The phrase in Christ is pretty important to the Apostle Paul. In fact, he uses that phrase in Christ about 164 times in his writings in the New Testament and actually 27 times here in the book of Ephesians. Now, why is this idea of being in Christ one of Paul's favorites? Why not just with Christ? I mean, to be with Christ would be an amazing privilege, wouldn't it? Alongside him, next to him, sensing his presence and his power at all times. That sounds pretty good. And if that's where it ended, it would still be pretty sweet, right? With Christ. But God doesn't stop there. He puts us in Christ, not just next to him, not just holding on to him, but actually joined to Jesus, held so tight that there's no distinguishing where he ends and where you begin. You're strapped in, held safe, kept secure, joined together in Christ. You might say, what's the big difference here, Jason? Kind of seems like you're splitting hairs on this one, right? In Christ, with Christ, does it really matter? Well, think about it this way. Like some of you, I have a motorcycle, and I'm still a believer. <laughs> Every once in a while, somebody gets on behind me, and we go for a ride together. But the thing about motorcycles is that there's, newsflash, no seatbelts, okay? So if you're a passenger on a motorcycle, you have to hold on, like tight. The passenger is riding with me, with me. And even though it's a ton of fun, that passenger could theoretically jump off at any time, right? On the other hand, think about the last time that you rode a roller coaster, maybe at the state fair this last summer. 
Sort of a different story, isn't it? You sit down on that seat and they ratchet that bar down on you so hard that you wish you hadn't passed that last line of porta potties without going in. There is no mistaking it. You are in that harness. You're in that roller coaster. You couldn't get out if you tried. No matter how many twists and turns and how many upside downs that thing does, you're in. When it goes, you go. When it stops, you stop. When people see the roller coaster, they see you and vice versa. You can't separate the two. There's no wiggle room. And actually, that's exactly what you want, isn't it? In fact, nobody looks at a roller coaster and says, oh, good, it goes upside down and I'm responsible to hold on. Take my ticket. I'm on that thing. No way. You want to be in. You want to be locked in, held safe, kept secure, joined together. That's what you want on a roller coaster. And here's what we know. When it comes to amusement park rides and our relationship with Jesus, it's good to be in. It's good to be in. And that's what we've already learned in this series. To those who are in Christ, God pours out spiritual blessings, yes, physically, but far more spiritually. We are blessed. We're chosen to live holy and blameless lives. We're chosen. God chose people to to be loved, to be saved without cause, without merit or human reason. He chose us in Christ. We're loved. Just stop and breathe that one in for, for just a moment. The creator of the universe looks at you with love. He lovingly sets out a path before you that will lead you to becoming more like his son Jesus. He predestined a path, pre-before destined destiny. He set out a path before time. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is your true identity. Wrapped up, joined together, held tight in Christ. Well, so what? What difference does all of that make for you and me? It's Sunday morning, you've got a roast in the oven, a tea time, you've got a kid's soccer game to get to. Tell me how this impacts my life this morning. Here it is. This gospel-driven, life-transforming reality for those of us who are in Christ this morning. Here it is. When God sees you, he sees Jesus. Say that together. When God sees you, he sees Jesus. That's where we're going this morning, and I promise you, it's amazing. Today... We're unpacking two more of these ways that God sees us in Christ. And see if you can pick them up as I read from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. Starting actually with the last couple words of verse 4. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. According to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. And here's the first way that God identifies us today, and you caught it this morning already. Say it with me. In Christ, I am what? Adopted. In Christ, you are, we are adopted. In love, the Father predestined us. Before the beginning of time, he laid out our path for adoption into his family. In Christ, we become the children of God, and he shows himself as our great father. You may know a little bit about adoption here this morning. We've got several families that are involved in adoption or even foster care right now, and that is amazing. Adoption 2,000 years ago when the New Testament was written looked a little bit different. If the husband and wife wanted to adopt a child, many times an orphan whose parents have been lost, 
They would take that child downtown to the center of the busy marketplace, and they would put that boy, let's say, up on a stool or up on a pedestal in the middle of the crowd and announce, this boy is now our son. He's no longer without family. He's part of our family. He has the rights and the privileges and the inheritance of our biological children. He has our name. He has our home. He is one of us in every way. We're adopting him. He is no longer an orphan. He is our son. When Paul tells us we're adopted, he's making an incredible statement. God chose us. We were orphans without him. We were brought into his family with all the rights of natural-born sons. Without God, we didn't have a chance, but God gave us a future. We didn't do anything to earn our adoption. In fact, there wasn't anything we could do. And yet, God gives us all the privileges of his own son. Adoption gives you the same privileges as Jesus. Why? Because when God sees you, he sees Jesus. That's amazing. Pastor and author Sinclair Ferguson says that the way we think about this truth, that those of us who are in Christ have been made children of God, quote, lies at the heart of understanding the whole of the Christian life and all of the diverse elements in our daily experience. In other words, when we think of God, one of the first thoughts that needs to come to our minds is Father. And when we think of ourselves, the first thing we need to think about is Beloved child. Now, this foundational truth is, is really the absolute bedrock of our identity. But why? Why is it so important? Well, to be candid, it's because the way we interact with our fathers or, or lack of fathers plays such an important role in the way we see ourselves and the world around us and even the way we see our Heavenly Father. You know this, sin created a broken world around us. Things aren't the way that they could be, right? I don't know your specific story, but I do know that some of you have experienced the love of a good father, but some of you haven't. For those of you who've never had a relationship with a loving father figure, here's what you need to hear this morning. When God calls himself father, he's referring to the kind of father that we were created to have. A father whose love is life-giving. A father whose love is safe and pure. A father whose love makes you feel cherished and protected and adored and encouraged. That's the kind of father that we crave and that's the kind of father that God is to his children. The writer, writers of the Old Testament only referred to God as father 14 times in, in all of the 39 books of the Old Testament. Most of these were used nationally, not personally. In other words, God was seen as father of the Jewish nation as a combined people, but not until Jesus came did individuals begin referring to God as my father, their personal father. In fact, the Gospels record Jesus using the term father more than 60 times in reference to God. It's by far his favorite name for God. But watch this. Jesus wasn't just using any word for father. He's actually referring to God as Abba, Abba. It's a term of endearment that kids would use when they were calling for their daddy or when they crawled up onto Papa's lap or when Dad picked them up off the dirt and dusted them off and kind of sent them on their way. Wow. Jesus shows up on the scene and, and begins calling the creator of the universe Daddy. Not just God. Not Master. 
Not even the Father, but my Father. And for the first time in recorded history, God isn't just a national God, our Father. He is a personal God, my Father. But watch how Paul makes the connection to us. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 15. You, that's those of you in Christ, have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. You see it there? That intimate father-son relationship, that family name that Jesus uses to refer to, to his daddy, all of a sudden, that's not just between God and Jesus anymore. It's the same name that we get to use. As adopted children, we get to call God Father, Abba, Daddy. That's amazing. Why is that? Because adoption gives you a personal father. Because when God sees you, he sees Jesus. Adoption gives you a personal father. Not just an out there dad. I'm amazed by that truth. That the God of the universe considers me his son. He's adopted me into his family with all the privileges and the rights of his only begotten son, Jesus. I wish I could tell you that I live as though I believe that all the time, but I don't. In fact, sometimes I look at myself and my own sin, my pride and my arrogance, my selfishness, my people-pleasing, my fear, my critical spirit, and I think, after all I've done, there's no way Father God could really love me the way he loves his son Jesus, is there? I bet some of you have thought that. How is it possible that God loves us that way? A few weeks ago, Meredith and I were putting Judah to bed after a day when he had just really had a hard time obeying, right? We had to discipline him several times. We had some hard conversations with him, trying to help him understand how his choices and his actions hurt Daddy and Mommy and the people around us. And as he pulled that blanket up under his chin, he started crying, and through his eight-year-old sobs and tears, he made a statement that cut me right to the heart, probably because it's something that I struggle too, struggle with also. He, he, he looked at Meredith and I, and he said, I'm just afraid that you're not going to love me anymore after what I did. You've had that conversation with your kids, haven't you? <laughs> and we looked back at him and said, oh, buddy, we love you. We'll never stop loving you. We loved you before you were born. There's nothing you could ever do or say that will make you be any less loved by us. You're our son. We'll always love you. And in a perfect and holy and forever kind of way, that's what God is saying to those of you who are in Christ today. You're my child. I chose you. I adopted you as my son. I love you. There's nothing that you could ever do to earn my love or to lose my love because my love for you is based on my character, not yours. You can't ever outsin my love because I love you like I love my son, Jesus. I promise you, I'll never stop. That's what God says to those of us who are in Christ. Now, it's easy to fall into the trap that your past or your mistakes or your addictions or your sins define you. And as a result, God could never love you. And friend, don't buy that lie this morning. Don't buy it. When God looks at you, he sees his son, and he'll never stop loving you no matter what you do if you're in Christ. Some of you need to hear this and only this today. 
Adoption gives you the promise of eternal love. Because when God sees you, he sees Jesus. Eternal love. Oh my goodness, we need that. It's incredible. This is amazing, you might say, but I, but I still don't know why God would do such a thing for me. Well, Paul answers that question in the next two phrases. Look again at the end of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5. According to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace. And so why did God adopt you and I into his family? Here it is, very simply, for his purpose and his praise. If you're in Christ this morning, you've been brought into the family of God because simply that fulfills God's purposes for your life and for the world. And think about that for a second. Your salvation, your personal salvation, it's not a fluke, it's not an oopsie or something that slipped through the cracks. God planned it. God purposed it. God wanted it. And God gets the praise for it. Okay, see that word grace at the end of verse 6? That's an important word too. It's usually a noun. And in Ephesians, it usually has this idea of God's love for all people or maybe even Christ's saving work on the cross. But here, Paul uses this noun grace as a verb, graced. He sort of makes up a word kind of like we have the word bejeweled. <laughs> Or bedazzled, like some of you have put on your cell phone cases or your jean jackets if you're a country music fan. <laughs> God begraced us with everything we need to live like he wants us to. And Paul says, listen, there's, there's so much of God's grace in this whole process of being in Christ that it's almost as if it can't be contained. It's glorious. It's awesome. It's full and overflowing, spilling all over us. And it's, it's, it's this grace that he blesses us with. And where do we find this grace? You guessed it, in Christ, in God's beloved son. That's how we gain access to this grace, through his son, Jesus Christ. Now this phrase in verse 6, to, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. It's a little hard to translate from Paul's original writing, and that's understandable, right? I mean, Paul's just gushing with this amazing doxology, this, this long run-on sentence of over 200 words, and he's not trying to win any grammar awards here. He's just talking about how amazing it is to be in Christ. And so this specific phrase gets translated in a few different ways, but, but here's the idea behind what Paul is getting at, and this is where we find our next gift. In Christ, we are, say it together, accepted. In Christ, we are adopted, and in Christ, we are accepted. Because of God's grace, that's his totally unearned favor. And through the life and the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus you and I are adopted and accepted by God. And if you're in Christ, God no longer labels you as an outsider. You're accepted. He sees his son when he looks at you. I grew up as a missionary kid in South Africa, and so we came back to the States once every three or four years. And I love traveling around and visiting family and friends when we came back, but there was always a part of me, like a lot of missionary kids, that felt like I didn't fit in anywhere, right? When I was in South Africa, I was that weird American. I really was. And when I was here in the States, I was that weird missionary kid, <laughs> which explains a whole lot of the weirdness right here this morning. Anyway, some of the toughest places to fit in were the supporting churches that we visited when we came back to the States on furlough. And so on Sunday mornings, my dad would preach, my mom would teach the kids' classes, and my job was to sit in the middle of the auditorium and run the carousel slide projector. Google it, kids. It's a real thing. They were awesome. When it came time for youth group, though, I felt like I was an outsider. 
Everybody already had their crew, their friends, their inside jokes, and I didn't fit in. I remember one weekend when we were visiting the church where my cousins went to church, we showed up before they did, and I made my way down to the basement because obviously that's where every church puts the teenagers, right? And I stood in the doorway, and I looked into the room, and there was a circle of teenagers, like a giant blob in the middle of the room. And I was on the outside. And I stood there for what seemed like forever until I felt this tap on my shoulder, and I turned around, and there was my cousin Aaron. He was my age, and I thought he was pretty much the raddest guy ever. He had a skateboard, even. (laughs) This was like 80s, early 90s. He pulled me by the arm over to the group of teenagers in the middle of the room, and they all seemed to turn toward him like at the same time, and then their eyes shifted to me. And one of the older guys stepped up towards me, and he said, Hey, who are you? I stammered back that I was visiting, that my dad was preaching that day, and I kept mumbling something until Aaron, my cousin, interrupted me. And he put his arm around me and kind of pulled me close and He looked out at the circle of teens and he said these words, don't worry guys, he's cool, he's with me. Oh my goodness, everything suddenly changed. All of a sudden guys were like slapping me on the back, we were laughing, joking around, I got invited over to somebody's house that afternoon. For a guy that didn't feel like he fit in anywhere, that was an amazing moment. How did that happen though? How did those kids suddenly invite me into their circle? What did I do to earn their acceptance? Nothing. I didn't do anything. I hadn't changed anything about myself. I didn't work for it, angle for it, try to pay for it or earn it. My acceptance into the group was completely based on my cousin's acceptance. Listen, because he was accepted and I was in his family, I was also accepted. You might say that when those teenagers saw me, they saw my cousin. And because he was in, I was in. I know that's happened to you. You felt like an outsider somewhere like you don't fit in, like you have to earn your place at the table, right, or in the circle. And I get that. Our culture says you got to work for everything you have. But there's a problem with that. Our tendency then is to think that we have to earn our acceptance by God in the same way. If you're a Jesus follower, if you're in Christ, you're probably, you're probably realizing this morning that you're already accepted by God. In fact, you can't do anything to be accepted more. It's as if Jesus has put his arm around you, pulled you closer, and said, hey, it's okay. We're family. He's in. She's in. They're with me. God looks at you and accepts you in the same way that he accepts his son. That's amazing. If you're in Christ, you've been adopted. No longer an orphan. You're a child of God. And you're accepted. You don't have to stand on the outside of God's family anymore. You don't have to feel like you don't belong. You're on the inside. You've been accepted. God worked me over with this message this last week, and I I couldn't figure out why exactly until late in the week. It's a simple passage, right? I mean, it's easy to outline. We're adopted, we're accepted. Pretty straightforward. It's encouraging. It's comforting, right? I mean, we love hearing about how much God loves us and that should encourage us and I just couldn't shake this feeling that there was something here that I wasn't getting. That happens sometimes. It just didn't seem personal to me and I couldn't figure out how to make it stick in my own life. And then as God allowed me to share it with you folks. 
I was listening to some music, and I'm kind of an old school praise and worship guy. And so I was on an old playlist, and even though I wasn't really paying attention, all of a sudden I heard these words crystal clear come out of the speaker. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted. You were condemned. I'm alive and well. Your spirit lives within me because you died and rose again. Amazing love, how can it be that you, my king, would die for me? Amazing love, I know it's true, and it's my joy to honor you. It's my joy to honor you in all I do. And honestly, that's, that's when it hit me. I'm forgiven. I'm accepted. I'm adopted. I'm blessed. I'm chosen. I'm loved. My path is predestined by the God of the universe. When God sees me, he sees Jesus. When God sees you, he sees Jesus. How, how is this possible? How can it be? Because Jesus was forsaken. He was condemned. He died for me. That's how this is possible. We can only enjoy these amazing gifts because of Christ's sacrifice. That's what gifts are, after all, aren't they? Something wonderful for someone purchased by someone else who loves them. And how do we respond to gifts? Well, we say thank you. We're grateful. We honor the giver. And so when it comes to the greatest gift of all, the opportunity to be in Christ with a brand new identity, a brand new name, a brand new community, a new inheritance, a new path, how will you respond? Have you accepted the gift of adoption into God's family through faith in Jesus Christ? Have you confessed your sins and placed your hope and trust completely in the person of Jesus, in Christ? Do you have a personal father-son relationship with God, or are you still an orphan? The Father's arms are open to you today. We sang about it earlier. Run to him. Discover your, your Abba, your Daddy. And maybe you're still on the outside this morning trying desperately to find acceptance by the world around you. Don't stay there. God wants to see you. When he looks at his son Jesus, he wants to put his arm around you and say, hey, he's in. She's in. They're in my family. I'm their father. They're accepted. Most days I get to drop Judah off at school in the morning and just before he runs into the building, he turns around and looks at me, and I look at him, and I yell out the window, hey, buddy, remember who you are. You're a Christian, and you're a Jackson. This morning, Sailorville Church, remember who you are. If you're in Christ, if you're a true believer, when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. You're adopted. You're no longer an orphan. You're accepted. You're no longer an outsider. God desperately loves you. And when he sees you, he sees Jesus. And how else can we respond to that other than to worship? We're going to sing in a few minutes.
after I pray, but I want you to just take some time to respond to these truths. You're adopted in Christ. You're accepted in Christ. And if you're in Christ, give thanks for those truths. If you're not in Christ, take this time to accept the one that has accepted you. Put your faith and trust in Jesus. Admit your sins. Believe that what he did for you in his life and his death and his resurrection was for you a personal Savior. And you'll be in Christ. And all these gifts will be available to you. Let's pray and then we'll sing. Father, not just our Father, my Father, Abba, Daddy, to those of us who are in Christ, Lord, thank you for the gift of adoption. Thanks for the gift of acceptance. No longer orphans. Lord, thank you. No longer outsiders. Father, thank you. Because of what Jesus did for us, God sees us when he sees his son. Thank you so much, Father. We love you. Take as much time as you need to respond to that, and then we'll sing together.